Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids, a show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. Oh yeah, baby. Well, hey everybody. How are all my future paleontologists doing? I am Dinosaur George and it is so great to be with you yet again. Today's podcast is going to be an extra special one because I received so many incredibly good questions and who would win comments that I decided to just um, dedicate this entire podcast to just answering those. If I have time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the who would win. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to do Ask Dinosaur George. Then I'm going to do who would win. Then depending on how much time, I might jump over to the Dinosaur George Facebook group page and respond to some of the some of the amazing pictures and and videos and all the great things that you all have sent to me uh, over there, which I love that very much, by the way. That is like for me, I have so much fun reading that page. I'm very busy and I I, sometimes I can't respond to everyone. But uh, I want you all to know that I certainly see the pictures and I watch the videos and I read your comments. And even though I don't have time to respond, I still read and and view every single one of them. All right. It is getting towards the end of January. The month is flying by and everyone who goes to school is back in school, I hope. And those of you that homeschool or are not able to join school, I hope all of you are doing well in your studies. I hope you are all practicing your reading and your math, because those two are very important if you're going to become a paleontologist. Now, doesn't mean you have to be super good at it. I'll be honest. I had a very hard time with math. Math was the hardest subject for me. And then grammar, that means where you put commas and that kind of stuff in a sentence. I had trouble with those. So if you are young or even if you're not young and you're struggling with those, don't think that that's going to stop you from being whatever you want to be. It just might be a little bit more difficult and it means you have to work a little harder at it. But working hard is how you get ahead. That's what you do. So you'll just work hard. You'll just make sure to work hard and improve anything that you need to improve couple of shout outs before we get started. I want to make sure I wanted to make sure my friend Kai's birthday is coming up in February, but I wanted to wish him a happy sixth birthday early so that I didn't forget because I'm absolutely terrible when it comes to remembering these things. But I also wanted to give a shout out to my young friend Banyan, whose parents were so nice, wrote such a kind letter. And thank you so very much for sending that to me. It's such a kind letter. And by the way, Banyan, I want you to know, I love the Allosaurus you drew me. You know, you know I like Allosaurus. So you drew me a beautiful Allosaurus. You have the right number of fingers on his hand. I'm very proud of you. You have the horn over the eyes. 
So very, very nice. So shout out to you and your entire family for um, being so kind to take the time to write me such a kind letter. All right. Today's statistics. What are statistics? Those are numbers. Statistics are numbers. And in the case of the statistic I'm going to read to you now, this tells us how many cities or how many countries we are listened in. So the total is now 122 countries, 7,640 cities. How cool is that? Um, And so, and then we also have had, uh, let's see, um, 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 where are my stats? Where are my stats? I'm actually reading them right off of my computer. 233,619 downloads. That's how many times people have downloaded the podcast. So thank you all so very much for being a listener. And I hope you're enjoying listening. And I hope you continue to tell your family and friends about the podcast, because the more people we have, the better it is. All right. So I told you this is going to be a special one. There is no uh, there's no feature creature in this one. And there's no interview in this one. This one is only going to be the Ask Dinosaur George and then the Who Would Wins. And if I've got time, then I'll go over to the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group and I'll read some of the comments from over there. So let's get into it, shall we? Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. All right. This first question is from my friend and assistant, Mr. Noah. Uh, Noah asks a very interesting question. Hi, Dinosaur George. Do you think that dinosaurs use the opportunistic system to rise up to dominance? Do we see them getting bigger and filling and exploring ecological niches? What he's talking about is that when an environment changes, some plants and animals either become extinct, they can't deal with the changes, where other plants and animals love it and they can take advantage of it. Well, the short answer, Noah, in my opinion, of why the dinosaurs rose to power had to do with their legs. Their legs, everything before them, most everything before them, had legs that were sort of splayed out to the side. Now, there were some crocodilian-like animals that had legs under them, but in general, I think the dinosaurs were faster. And being fast can certainly give you an advantage in an environment, right? You can outrun your predators and you can catch your prey. I believe what happened is that at the end of the Triassic, we see, or mid towards the late Triassic, we see that dinosaurs seem to be emerging and coming out the winner in this race that occurs with with animals. And dinosaurs seem to be able to get above and beyond everything else I think because of their legs, allowing them to travel greater distance, inhabit more areas. Uh, Maybe it was also internal, like things like their lungs, whether they were better breathers. You know, the, the way you breathe has an impact on where you can go. For instance, birds 
can travel at 10,000 feet in the air, or they can live uh, below sea level in some places. So if you have the ability to move, outcompete everything else, and live in a variety of areas, it's going to allow you to expand your numbers. And that's what I think is happening with dinosaurs. And to some degree, I think pterosaurs rose to power because they were the first bigger animals that figured out how to fly. And because flying certainly allows you to travel greater distances, pterosaurs kind of took over. And then in the water, you have the mosasaurs, the plesiosaurs, the ichthyosaurs, and the pliosaurs. Those animals were able to rise to power because they were able to adapt to varying environments and that allowed them to eat more of a variety of food and that allowed them to grow larger. So in my opinion, Noah, I think the dinosaurs absolutely expanded their numbers based solely on things like their legs. All right, this comes from my friend Leo Raptor. Hi, Dinosaur George. This is Leo Raptor. My question is, who is bigger, Spinosaurus or Giganotosaurus? Well, first of all, shout out Leo for spelling Giganotosaurus's name correctly. I'm very proud of you because so many young people think its name is Gigantosaurus. And it's not Gigantosaurus. It's Giganotosaurus. So Giganotosaurus. Now, here's the difficulty with how do we decide what's big? Is it the length? Is it the height? Is it the weight? You see, if you had an elephant and a giraffe, And you said, which one is bigger? Well, you could argue that the giraffe is bigger because it's taller. But you could also argue the elephant is bigger because it weighs more. So when we talk about the size of a dinosaur and we talk about who is bigger, we generally base that on all of those things, length, height, and weight. And based on those things, it looks like Spinosaurus is definitely longer. Now, the debate that's taking place right now with Spinosaurus is, did it actually, was it a tall dinosaur like Giganotosaurus or like Tyrannosaurus, or was it closer to the ground? If it was closer to the ground, then Giganotosaurus is probably taller. And also, Spinosaurus, most of its height is its sail. Does that really count? So it's a very difficult question, but I would say this, considering size, length, height, mass, I think Spinosaurus remains the largest known carnivore at this time with Giganotosaurus probably coming in second? It's a great question. Okay. Uh, Leo Rapto also said, how did the first dinosaurs go extinct? Thanks for your answers, Dinosaur George. It's my, it's my pleasure, Leo. How did the first dinosaurs go extinct? You know, when it comes to the end of the age of the dinosaurs, scientists have pretty much formed a consensus that it was an asteroid because the evidence is there and there's all kinds of other things to support it. But what about the extinctions that occurred at the Jurassic and in the Triassic? What about those? Well, unfortunately, you're going that much farther back in time. And the farther back in time you go, the more evidence is gone. You see, if an asteroid struck the world today, we could see the crater. 50 million years from now, the crater might still be there, but it won't look like it does today because wind and water erosion begins to make it kind of disappear. The hole is filled in 
and the edge is kind of smoothed off by wind and water. Now, the asteroid that occurred at the end of the Cretaceous, this, this will amaze you. The asteroid that struck at the end of the Cretaceous, the time between us and that time is the same amount of time from the Jurassic to that time. So that means that if an asteroid struck the Earth at the end of the Jurassic, it did it two times farther back in history than the one that we see the evidence today. And the one that we see evidence today, there's not, I mean, there's some evidence, there's certainly some, but it's not crystal clear. So think about how hard that is. So the problem, Leo Raptor, is it's hard to say with any certainty. We can look at the fossil record, though, and that gives us some clues, especially when it comes to plants. You see, if, if the area you live in today Let's say you, we all live in a jungle. We all live in a jungle. Okay. The plants and animals living there might become a fossil. And one day, some future paleontologists can look at the plants and say, oh, these are the kind of plants that live where it's a jungle. So they would know what our environment was like. Now, let's say a future paleontologist finds fossils of a cactus. They can look at the cactus and say, aha, this place was hot and dry because that's where cactus likes to live. So we can look at the fossil plants and we can see that the environment was changing. And when your environment changes, you have one of three choices to make. Move, adapt, or die. That's it. You can move to a place where the environment is better. You can adapt to your new environment or you're going to become extinct. What do I mean? Let's look at elephants. Let's say we're a family of elephants and where we live is getting colder and colder for more and more months out of the year. Now, we all sit around and go, uh, dudes, I don't know about you, but I'm going to start growing hair because I want to wear a coat year round. And the other elephants are like, uh, dude. I don't know about you, but we're heading south. We're going to migrate. See, it's been nice knowing you. And one elephant sits around and goes, I'm not going to do anything, man. I like it here. Well, fast forward through a number of different generations, and you have woolly mammoths living where it's cold. You have the southern mammoths living where it's hot. And you have that other group of mammoths that went extinct. Move, adapt, or die. And in my case, the dinosaurs at that time probably fell victim to an inability to adapt to whatever changes were taking place. Okay, Alastasiosaurus Rex. What a great name. Alastasiosaurus Rex wants to know if, if any of the pterosaurs had teeth. Yes, they did. Um, and by the way, everyone, today's questions are coming from my Patreon club members. So uh, Alastasiosaurus Rex Absolutely, there were. There were two main families of rapt of pterosaurs, the Rampharynchoids and the Pterodactyloids. Those two are two different families. And then within those families, you have a lot of different kinds of different members, right? Well, the Rampharynchoids, almost all of them had teeth. Uh, like uh, Dimorphodon and Eudimorphodon and you smell like a Skunkosaurus. Okay, okay, forget that last one. I apologize. That one doesn't exist. But 
Dimorphodon, Eudimorphodon, uh, who else? Uh, Rampharynchus. Those are pterosaurs that absolutely have teeth. So, yes, Alastasiosaurus rex, there were absolutely pterosaurs. Now, you mentioned, for example, maybe Pteranodon. Pteranodon doesn't have teeth. The pterodactyloids, that's the family Pteranodon fits in, most of them didn't have teeth. Some of them did, but most of them did not. So you have some that had teeth and some that did not. Okay. Aminosaurus Rex says, was the megatherium as slow as a current sloth? Well, probably faster because its legs were longer and it could travel greater distances, but probably not very fast at all. Aminosaurus Rex, I believe that megatherium, who happens to be a giant ground sloth, was probably relatively slow, but not as slow as a modern sloth. They are super slow, but megatherium was not meant to crawl in trees, so it had to be a little bit faster because it's walking across the ground. And then Aminosaurus also says, did plesiosaurs and ichthyosaurs live at the same time? Yes, they did. Ichthyosaurs and plesiosaurs probably saw each other every day. They probably ignored each other. Now, there are some big ichthyosaurs, like Shonisaurus, and I think a new one was discovered. Was it in Australia? A new one was discovered recently. Can't remember the name. But uh, there were some big ones. But I don't know if even the big ones preyed on plesiosaurs. So my guess is they all probably got along pretty well. They probably got along pretty well. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, from Ari. Ari writes and says, was T-Rex alive at the same time as Ankylosaurus? Yes, it was, Ari. I believe Ankylosaurus was so well armored because it lived at the time of Tyrannosaurus Rex. And that extra thick body armor must have been there as a way to defend itself against these huge predators. So, yeah, I think Ankylosaurus probably had all that armor because it lived with Tyrannosaurus Rex. That's a great, uh, great question. Okay. Hi, Dinosaur George. Annalisa Saurus and her mom would like to know if there were any dinosaurs that stood on their back legs and boxed like female elk or deer do. We love listening to your podcast and have learned so much. Thanks for all your hard work. Well, you're welcome, Mom and Annalisa Saurus. Um, you know, that's an interesting question. Now, what they're referring to is we see that four-legged animals like deer and elk can actually rear up on their back legs and use their front legs to kind of punch and kick their opponent. Could dinosaurs do that? Absolutely, they could. Dinosaurs like Camptosaurus, dinosaurs like um, uh, um, any of the hadrosaurs like Parasaurolophus, Saurolophus, uh, Lambiosaurus, all of those probably did. And uh, I have no doubt that they would stand up. They could definitely stand on their back legs because we see their footprints. Sometimes they walk around on their back legs and that would have allowed them to use their front legs to some degree. But here's the difference. You see, the elk and deer that do that don't have the tail that gets in the way. So they can stand almost straight up in the air and do that. Whereas with dinosaurs, if they lean back too far, their tail is going to touch the ground and kind of get in the way. Now, their bodies are more horizontal. 
meaning they are kind of left to right, not up and down, but left to right. So they can stand on their two legs and probably use their front legs to to a degree. But the farther back they lean, the more the tail gets in the way. And that would be difficult for them to be able to stand up as tall. So I do think they could have done that to a degree, but maybe not as much as, say, a deer or an elk. And they couldn't lean back on their tail sort of like we see a kangaroo do because a kangaroo's body is more uh, vertical, straight up and down versus horizontal, like even with the ground. But that's a very good question. And thank you all so much. And I appreciate uh, that you are members of the club. And I'm glad you both. like. And, and by the way, I absolutely love when I hear from parents who listen to the podcast with their with their children. I, I, that that to me is the greatest part because I love that you are with your child, you're bonding with your child and you're learning together. And I love the fact that parents find the podcast interesting enough to where they don't just tune it out and let the child go off. Now it's fine if you don't have time to listen or maybe you're not interested. I'm not saying if you don't listen with your kids, there's something wrong with that. But so many of you tell me you listen on the way to school and on the way home and on the way to different places. And I'm just very honored that any parent would find the podcast interesting. And I am so proud to know so many parents who are such good parents. Good on you, parents, for doing that. Okay. And Dominus Philip asked, um, as they are both from the late Cretaceous, did T-Rex and Spinosaurus ever fight each other for real? Indominus Philip, very good question. Now, they are both from the late Cretaceous, but they're actually separated in time by a couple of million years. When we say the late Cretaceous, well, the late Cretaceous can can consist of 15 or 20 million years. That's a huge difference of time. So you can say you're from the late Cretaceous, but that could mean that you are millions of years away from another animal that we say lived in the late Cretaceous. And in the case of T-Rex and Spinosaurus, there's two reasons why they didn't. One, they were separated by millions of years. Two, they were separated by continents. At the time of the late Cretaceous, Spinosaurus is living in Africa. You can't walk from Africa or living in Africa, Egypt, Morocco, places like that. You couldn't walk from those continents to North America anymore because the big supercontinent of Pangaea was breaking apart and you couldn't walk there anymore. Now in the Jurassic, the Triassic, Jurassic, and even probably up to the early Cretaceous, you might've been able to walk back and forth between those continents by the late Cretaceous. though, I think the land masses had separated and so they never would have. So they probably wouldn't have actually fought, but that's a very good question. And Dominus Philip, I like that very much. Okay, Asher wants to know, how do scientists know the colors of dinosaurs and how do they know if T-Rex or any other dinosaur had feathers? Well, Asher, we just make it up. What do you think of that? Okay, that's not true. I'm joking. There's a number of ways. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to get my friend who's a paleontologist who does a study of the color of dinosaurs. I'm going to see if I can get him to come on to a a lesson one day and explain what he does. I I think I'm, I'm going to try to do that. Basically, I'll give you the short version. 
When the animal dies, scientists have discovered that some of the pigment called melanosomes, the little things that make you whatever color you are, some of those stay behind in the rock. And scientists are able to see them. Either they use an electron microscope, which takes it down to the tiniest fragment, or they use lasers. And they can shoot the laser at the pigment. And however long it takes to bounce the laser back to the computer tells them what color it was. I I know that's crazy. So in some cases, scientists are actually able to tell the color of dinosaurs. How amazing is that? As for how they know if they had feathers, think about this. Have you ever seen a place where a company has poured concrete? You know, it's, it's liquid and then it dries into a solid. And a, a, a leaf lands on it when it's wet. Well, the leaf will leave a print of the leaf there. Now, the leaf will decompose and disappear. But the print of that leaf is stuck in the concrete. Think about this. If you see wet concrete and you put your thumb on it, leave your thumbprint. It will stay there. If a cat walks across it, it'll leave footprints. Well, that happens with feathers. A dinosaur will die. It will be buried in very, very fine mud. And over time, that mud buries the whole animal. Now, the feathers and the skin and the the muscles and all the soft tissue, it decomposes. But what's left behind? Ah, the print of the feathers. And that's how they know. Now, with other dinosaurs, with some dinosaurs, some scientists just kind of predict that they do because they say, if this one had feathers and this one had feathers and this one had feathers, then I think this one's going to have feathers too, even though they don't find evidence of it. Some scientists believe T-Rex had feathers on his arm or I always say his. You ever notice that? And you know, with T-Rex, the females are bigger than the males. Why am I always saying his? I need to start saying her. Ooh la la. I'll say it. Why do they think T-Rex had feathers? Well, they think it may have had them on its arms or maybe on its tail. And those feathers would be used as a way to attract a mate or scare away a rival. Maybe by wiggling your little arms with bright feathers, you're sending a message to another T-Rex that says, get off my territory or I'm going to eat you. Or it might say, hello, Pete, how's your wife and kids? Why don't you guys come over? We're going to be watching movies all weekend. Okay, I don't, I don't know about that part. I don't know about that part, but it is possible. But to my knowledge right now, I don't know if it's been proven beyond a doubt that T-Rex has had feathers. But if you see images where artists draw them, artists can simply draw them because they have the freedom to do what they want. So in some cases, when you see the colors of dinosaurs, we don't know the color of every dinosaur. Professional artists that draw them will sometimes choose different colors based on modern animals. All right. Cairo is interested in Archelon and ways it could use its shell. Well, Cairo, listen, Archelon is an amazingly huge sea turtle. And that shell would have been a weapon, a way to defend itself against things like mosasaurs and large sharks. Like any other modern 
Sea turtle, its shell is its defense. But what a huge turtle this thing is. It's enormous. So, Cairo, it could use its shell for the number one purpose of defending itself. You know, the other function of the shell could be that if it came on shore to lay its eggs, like other sea turtles do, then the shell supports its weight so that it doesn't collapse on itself. So the shell is just basically its house, its home. Okay, Silas wants to know which one had more armor, Stegosaurus or Triceratops? Well, actually, Stegosaurus had more armor. Armor is a term that we use for little pieces of bone that's kind of in the skin. And in the case of Stegosaurus, it had armor on its throat. Now, Triceratops has big horns on its head, two big ones, and it has a frill or shield. That could count as armor, and there's a lot of it. You know, let me rethink this a minute. Other than, because the plates on Stegosaurus's back, I would not consider armor. I do not think they were used in any way to be a defensive uh, weapon. So maybe if you look at the size of the frill of Triceratops, and you compare that to the throat of Stegosaurus, If we're going to count the shield as armor, then Triceratops is going to have the most. But if we're not going to count the shield as armor, Stegosaurus has the most. Very good. Okay. This is from my friend Vian Velociraptor. Hi, dinosaurs. Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year to you and your family as well, my young friend. How did Triceratops get three horns? Well, it went to the store to buy one, but they were having a sale. It's buy one, get two free. So a Triceratops walked up to the register and the lady ringing it up said, Sir, do you realize that you can... What am I talking about? What am I talking about? Okay. How did it get three horns? Well, it's a very good question, Vian. <laughs> My answer was horrible, but it's a very good question. Um, as animals develop and grow, different kinds of animals grow different things over time. When you look at protoceratops, which came long before triceratops, they didn't have horns at all. But as the ceratopsians are developing, they are beginning to add weird horns and frills and spikes and different things. And in the case of triceratops, it just ended up discovering that having two really big horns and one little horn was perfect for how it could survive. And that's why they have three, because that's how many it worked out to be perfect. All right. Joey Sorolophus, age five, wanted to ask if any dinosaurs only ate bugs or insects. Hey, that's really good. Were any dinosaurs insectivores? That's what you call an animal that only eats insects. An animal that only eats fish is called a piscivore. An animal that only eats meat is called a carnivore. An animal that only eats plants is, what is it? Yell it out. Herbivore. An animal that eats both meat and plants is called an omnivore. And children are called candivores. So those are the candivores. All right, kids, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a secret. Tonight, when you get ready to eat, look at your mom or dad and say, uh, I'm a candivore. I can't eat anything other than candy, so please, would you go get me a Snickers bar, and I will eat my dinner. Thank you. The end. 
Now, your parents are going to be so happy. They're going to be, okay, they're going to call me and yell at me. So don't do that because you're going to get me in trouble. So were there any insectivores? My guess, Joey Seralifus, is that there probably were. Um, Now, maybe they didn't only eat bugs. Maybe they ate a variety of things. But you look at some of the animals that don't have teeth. Those little fellows like Oviraptor and uh, and who else? Uh, Conchoraptor and uh, Oviraptor. Though, is there an Oviraptor? Yes, there is. Those animals may have specialized in eating insects. But it's hard to know if they only ate them because you would have to find inside their stomach, you'd have to find the remains of everything they ate. And if you only saw bugs, then you could sort of guess that they were. Also, Joey wanted to know, definitely not his dad, but Joey Serolophus was wondering, but definitely not his dad. So his dad is asking this question, clearly, because this is Joey Serolophus. How accurate would you say are the visuals of the dinosaurs we see today versus how they actually were? Do you think it's 50% accurate or 75% accurate? Joey, not his dad, was very curious of this. Okay. Joey Serolophus, you can now walk away and go do whatever you want to do outside because I'm going to answer your dad's question. You know, dad, you tried to trick me, but I knew, I knew it was you because you look like the kind of person that would ask that question. (laughs) You know, what's funny, uh, dad, is that, uh, I mean, Joey, what's funny is 50 years ago, what we thought dinosaurs looked like, everybody agreed that was probably what they looked like. So if you asked me that question 50 years ago, I might say, that's probably 75%. Now today, they look totally different with what they did 50 years ago. So the problem is, it's hard to really know for sure. As new discoveries are made, we see different things about the animals. But I would say this. With today's technology, with there being paleontologists all over the world that can pick up a phone and call each other, you have so many different scientists looking at the evidence that I would venture to say that as far as the way they stand, how they walk, and how they're built, we're probably 75% accurate. But when it comes to things like color or sound or behavior, we might be completely off the charts with that. So visually, I would say that when we see uh, uh, images of dinosaurs today, then I think we are seeing, let me give you another example of how that's changed. In 2007, uh, I was a co-creator of a television series on the History Channel called Jurassic Fight Club. At that time, most of the scientists I spoke to had said that they weren't certain how the animals carried their arms. So all of the dinosaurs that were animated in that series, their arms are not in the proper position that we think they are today. So just as as short back as, as 2007, we see a very dramatic difference. Now, it doesn't mean that the way we depict them today is the accurate one, but that's the most uh, the, the most accepted by paleontologists all over the world. So every new year brings new discoveries and new discoveries brings us new ideas of what these animals look like. So I would say right now we're probably 75% accurate. It's a great question.
Joey Seralifus. Not Joey's dad, but Joey Seralifus. All right. Uh, let's see. Matthias from New Hampshire would like to know what the average size of a short-faced bear was and whether they lived in groups or alone. Very, very good question. Very good question, Matthias. This is great. Um, as far as the size, you know, I don't have my numbers in front of me, but the short-faced bear, I think based on the numbers that they find, they have a good idea of how big those bears get. As a matter of fact, I think I did a podcast on the short-faced bear. If I did, I hope you guys go back and look at it. I I just don't have the numbers in front of me and I don't want to throw out a number because I I can't remember the size of the short-faced bear. But I do know that if you look online and you Google, its real name, by the way, is Arctotus simus. Arctotus simus is the scientific name of the short-faced bear. It's a big bear. As for whether it lived in groups or alone, this is another very good question. When we look at the behavior of animals, one of the best ways to determine how an animal acted is by looking at modern animals that are similar. And that would lead us to modern bears. Other than certain times of the year when food is abundant in one area, bears are not group hunters. They're not group animals. They prefer to be left alone. That's called comparative anatomy. Look, we look at how an animal is built today and an animal that was built before, and that helps us understand it. But when you look at behavior, how they act, you can also do the same thing by seeing modern counterparts. There's not many bears that live in groups. And so I would think that based on the size of that bear, It doesn't need to be in a group. It can live alone and take on any comers. I don't think the saber-toothed cats messed with this bear. I don't think that the dire wolves messed with this bear. I think everybody got out of its way because it's a brute. And that's a good question. Marcus Rex would like to know if Chasmosaurus had long horns or short horns. Well, there's actually one species of Chasmosaurus. I believe there are two species, one that had a little bit longer horns and one that had shorter horns. But in general, I think Chasmosaurus has relatively shorter horns based on how big of a dinosaur it was. It certainly was not the size of the horns of Triceratops or the nose horn of Styracosaurus. Chasmosaurus, from what I can tell, I used to have a Chasmosaurus skull in my collection and it had really short little bumpy horns. But uh, I believe that they all had relatively shorter horns. Good question, Marcus Sararex. It's a very good name, by the way. All right, Dev says, how big is the biggest velociraptor ever found? Well, Dev, the biggest velociraptor was about the size of a turkey. I want to say about four and a half, maybe five feet long from the tip of its nose to its tail, and probably about two and a half to three feet tall. Now, Velociraptor belongs to a group, you know, the raptor group, and there were bigger raptors. But Velociraptor is not a very big dinosaur. Super fast, super dangerous, but I do think that uh, it would have not been much bigger than that you see in, in other pictures. All right. Luca Rex wants to know, would a Titanoboa fight another Titanoboa? And if so, How? This is a great question, Luca Rex, and I can't begin to tell you the answer. 
I do not believe I have ever seen a constrictor trying to constrict or fight with another member of that family. Now, I will say this. I've seen myself, I've seen snakes fighting with each other, and it's crazy. I've seen two male rattlesnakes actually in combat, and they would literally twist themselves around each other and stand up, pushing against the other, standing up. I mean, they were almost as tall as me. It's the coolest thing you've ever seen. It's just crazy looking. But I don't think Titanoboa would have had the ability to do that. I don't know if constrictors are territorial or not. I don't think they fight with each other. I think if they see a bigger one coming, they probably get out of its way. Could Titanoboa fight with another? It's an excellent question. Unfortunately, Lucarex, you've stumped me, buddy. You've stumped me. That's, that's very big. Okay, this is a question from Joel. Hi, Dinosaur George. Thank you for the tooth and claw for the T-Rex Club. Joel, thank you for joining the T-Rex Club. Thank you for being a member. It, it helps me greatly. And what Joel's talking about is when you become a member, if you become a raptor member, we send you a replica of a raptor claw. If you become a T-Rex member, we send you that raptor claw and a T-Rex tooth, both replicas. And so, Joel, that is very kind of you. Thank you for taking the time to write. And I'm glad you are a member of our club. Thank you. All right. Owen, age six from Massachusetts, says, What Ceratopsian has a frill that dips down in the middle? Uh, I think the one you are talking about. Oh, my gosh. What is its name? Oh, this is crazy. The frill. The frill is almost curved inward. What is that dinosaur's name? I can see him in my, I can see him clear as a bell, but who is it? Who, who is it? Oh my gosh. What is that dinosaur's name? Okay. This is going to drive me Cosmoceratops. Is that right? Cosmoceratops. Yes. I think it's, I think it's Cosmoceratops. It's got this weird frill that kind of curls down. I don't know why. It's cool looking, but I just don't know why. But that's a great question. All right. This is from Oscar Lepis. Oscar, Oscar Olepis. What a great name. What's the largest dinosaur bone you've ever found? Thank you for the podcast. Well, you're welcome, buddy. And I'm glad you're a listener. And I'm glad you're a member. Um, what is the largest bone I ever found? The biggest bone I've ever found was the femur the upper leg bone of a big hadrosaur, probably Edmontosaurus. I believe it's, it was probably right at about five and a half feet long, I think. I think that's the biggest bone I've ever found, the biggest single bone I ever found. I think that's what it was. I, I think it was. That's probably the biggest. It's a great question, buddy. Thank you. All right, this is from my buddy Owen. Would small dinosaurs pollinate flowers? Very interesting question. I expect that kind of question from you, Mr. Miller. Um, yeah, towards the end of the Cretaceous, there's flowering plants. And I bet you that there may have been some smaller plants that may have either relied on maybe nectar to supplement their food, or maybe they're eating the plants. And by, by pushing your face into those plants to eat, maybe you're accidentally pollinating them, but certainly flowering plants need a pollinating agent. 
and that is oftentimes insects. But during the age of dinosaurs, most of the insects were relatively small. If you were bigger, small meat-eating dinosaurs would eat you. So I think it may have been up to smaller dinosaurs to be some of the best pollinators. This is a brilliant question. That's a, that's a brilliant question. Absolutely brilliant. Okay, this is from Dinosaur Boy. We love your podcast. Thank you, DG. Dino Boy in Sydney, Australia would like to know, what are fossils made from? Well, fossils are almost always made of the most prevalent mineral in the ground. So sometimes it could be where the fossil is buried in mud and the fossil is then made of mudstone. Sometimes it can be buried in uh, lime, which is like stuff at the ocean floor made up of billions of little single-celled animals. And so they become made of limestone. It depends on where they're found. I will tell you something amazing about Australia. There is an area of Australia where the fossils are made of opal. You heard me. Opal is a gemstone that grows in the ground. Opal takes the shape of the bone. So in the case of your beautiful country, which I'm going to visit one day, opal is one of those things. All right. And what was Parasaurolophus crest covered with? That's another good question. There's nothing that I'm aware of. There's nothing that I'm aware of that tells us for sure what covered it. Was it covered with skin? Was it covered with keratin? It must have been covered with something. Because when you look at that bony crest, it appears to have markings on it that represent little blood vessels. And blood vessels cannot be exposed on the surface of the body because any animal biting it would cause massive bleeding. Usually when blood vessels occur, like we have them in our body, they're under our skin. So, and like you have blood vessels under your fingernails. Your fingernail is protecting those blood vessels. I think it may have been a keratin-like covering. That's what your fingernails are made of. Or maybe it was skin. I don't think I've ever seen a study on that before. Dino Boy, it's a great question. Finally, could Allosaurus attack Stegosaurus while Stegosaurus was eating plants? Yes, absolutely. That's probably what it did. It wants to make sure that Stegosaurus's head is down and its face is buried in a plant so that Allosaurus can rush in before Stegosaurus can see it. If Allosaurus can rush in and maybe knock it down by just running into it like a train or taking a big hunk, make a, a big giant bite on its throat or its front leg, it's going to keep those that back uh, swinging tail from getting to it. So, yeah, absolutely it did. That's very, very good. That's absolutely good. Okay, uh, let's see. This is from Leo Lipluridon, who lives in Hong Kong. Were any dinosaurs cannibals? Yes, they were, Leolipluridon. Yes, they were. We do find some evidence of Coelophysis being a cannibal, and we do find some elephants. Um, some elephants. What am I talking about? We do find some evidence. Stop laughing. If all of you are laughing because I said elephants instead of evidence, you are all in big trouble. Oh, I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you people. I may have to travel to 211 countries all over the world, but I will find all of you. Oh, don't think I won't do it. <laughs> There's also some evidence. <coughs> not elephants. There is some evidence of Majungasaurus being a cannibal as well. 
So yes, there were. Great question. Thank you for being a member all the way from beautiful Hong Kong. Okay, hi, DG. Susie Source would like to know, did the woolly mammoth and Smilodon become extinct because they were after the meteor? Uh, She also would like to say she hopes everyone is enjoying the podcast. Well, Susie Source, you are such a polite young lady, except for the part where you call me El Stinko. And let me tell you people this. Last, during the last lesson for the Patreon members, finally, they all got to see El Stinko. I wasn't there in the room when El Stinko made his appearance. So finally, can we all just agree that I am not El Stinko because you kids saw El Stinko and it wasn't me. So you're such a good kid. Stop calling me El Stinko because now you know, Susie Soros. Now you know. He's a totally different person. So why did the woolly mammoth and Smilodon become extinct? All right, let's back it up. Remember I said what happens when your environment changes, move, adapt, or die. Well, in the case of the woolly mammoth, in the case of Smilodon, they were unable to adapt to the environment and they slowly became extinct. It wasn't associated with the meteor. That didn't, we don't think it was a meteor, but we do think it was a change in the entire climate all over the world. And for whatever reason, Smilodon and woolly mammoths were some of the animals that were unable to adapt to it. All right. Mega Zuraptor. And I think it's Zur, right? It's not Taser. It's Zur. I think that's it. Mega Zuraptor would like to know, why was Spinosaurus not suited for battling? Also, why won't my mom let me have stink bombs? Okay, first of all, let me say this. Shame on your mother for making you take a bath. Boys are supposed to stink. That's how we stop grizzly bears from attacking. So tell your mom, mom, dad, let's talk about this. Has anyone in our family been attacked by a grizzly bear anytime this year? If the answer is no, then you could say, you see, you see, that's because my underarms smell horrible. If you make me take a bath and you make me wear deodorant, don't come crying to me. If we wake up one morning and there's a grizzly bear making breakfast in the kitchen. All right. So, <laughs> so, so why was Spinosaurus not suited for battling? It's because of its food source. It appears that Spinosaurus is only eating fish. And that means that it doesn't need to fight with the fish. Your body is built for whatever it is you do. When you look at an animal like a spider monkey, it's not built for battle because it's not catching big things it has to fight with. So a Spinosaurus is not built for battle because the food it eats doesn't fight back. And that's why. And that's a very, very good question. All right. This is from Declan from Charlotte, North Carolina. Did volcanoes erupt when dinosaurs were living? Yes, they did. Oh, yes, they did. Dinosaurs had to run away from erupting volcanoes. In fact, towards the end of the Cretaceous, while all doing the all during the Mesozoic era, there was a lot of active volcanoes. 
So, yes, they probably saw volcanoes erupting in the distance. They probably had to run away when a volcano erupted like modern animals today. So absolutely they did. Great question. All right. This is from Matt. Hello, Dinosaur. Oh, it's David. Hello, Dinosaur George. This is Davis. Uh, David, I would like to, David Lewis, by the way, I would like to know how many teeth a megalodon has. I believe it's 230. I think it's 230. I read that somewhere. I'm almost sure that's what it was, 230 or 240, something like that. But that's a great question. That's a very good question, David. All right, Pepper Age 7 from Denver wants to know, did Ankylosaurus work in herds? Oh, another good question. I think they probably did. I think they probably did. Now, the thing about Ankylosaurus is it's so well armored, it's not like that it needs to be around others. But Ankylosauruses were probably not fast. Now, when you look at an animal like a rhinoceros, it doesn't live in herds because it can spin quickly around. Most things can't sneak up behind it. Ankylosaurus is not made for being really fast. So if Ankylosaurus is among others of its kind, if something attacks, they can all face a different direction. And no matter where the attack comes from, you would be able to defend yourself. So, yeah, I think they probably did, Pepper. It's a great question. All right, Ezra, age seven from Texas, wants to know if you think the Loch Ness Monster could be a plesiosaur. Well, you know, all the images we see of the Loch Ness Monster, it looks exactly like a plesiosaur. But is it possible that that animal still exists or did exist when humans lived in Scotland? I don't know. I will say this, Ezra, one thing that does happen when when we... When we study something a lot, let's say we talk all day long today about, um, well, let's say we talk about the Loch Ness Monster. And all day, that's all we talk about. And then we all go to a lake. If there is a splash out in the water and we didn't know what made the splash, our mind might trick us into believing what we saw was the head of a plesiosaur pop up. Your mind might think that. You're not lying. It's what your mind thinks it saw. That could be the case of the Loch Ness Monster. But regardless, the images I've seen always look just like, they look just like a plesiosaur. All right, um, let's do one more. This is from Charlie Don, age five, from Long Island, New York. Was wondering today what aquatic animals lived during the Pleistocene era. So what animals lived during the Pleistocene that are alive today? I believe um, uh, manatees. I believe manatees were here during the Pleistocene. Matter of fact, I'm sure they were. Uh, manatees were living. Sharks, of course, lots of fish, crabs, shrimp, oysters, uh, clams. Um, what else? Um, 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 octopus, squid, nautilus, uh, lobsters. Those animals were all animals that were alive during the Pleistocene that are still alive today. All right. Uh, let me do one more because these are so many good questions. This is from my friend George Allosaurus, who wonders if Triceratops can stand on its back legs. Well, George Allosaurus, they probably can't. And the reason why I say that is because of something called the center of gravity. The center of gravity is where all of the weight of your body rests, the majority of where the weight of your body rests. And so the center of gravity on Triceratops is actually closer to its front legs. 
And that means to lift its back legs or to stand up on its back legs would be super crazy hard to do. It would be incredibly hard to do because all of your weight is on the front half of your body. So it would be very difficult if they could. All right. um, I'm going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to jump into some who would wins. In the meantime, if you would like to become a member of the Patreon Club, here's some information for you. Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind-the-scene access, and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. All right, everybody. Hold on to your hats. Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? Spinosaurus versus Triceratops? You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. All right, let's get right into it now. To submit a Who Would Win, you have to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex member of the Patreon Club. Here we go. This one comes from Judah, who would like to know who would win. Dinosuchus versus Sarcosuchus. Whoa, epic crocodilian battle. Looking at the difference of the two, Sarcosuchus has a much longer, skinnier snout. Now, that gives it an advantage to being able to bite while you're still a little bit farther away from it. Dinosuchus has the big rounded snout and you have to be up close to use it. But here's the difference. I believe Dinosuchus's bite force would have been greater than the bite force of Sarcosuchus. And the way crocodilians hunted back then is probably the way they hunt today. Grab you and spin around in what is called the death roll. Well, the problem with Sarcosuchus is that when it bites down into something armored like a dinosuchus, its teeth are not going to go all the way through that body armor. I don't think they could. So if it begins to do the death, even if it doesn't do the death roll, right away, it's going to be harder for it to force its teeth through the body armor to really do some significant damage. Dinosuchus, on the other hand, I believe when it crunches down, I think it does have the power to push those teeth through the body armor. I think Dinosuchus is going to make a bigger wound on Sarcosuchus. So in this particular case, uh, Judah, I am going to give this one to Dinosuchus. What an epic battle that would be. All right. Sawyer Sarcus wants to know who would win. Dinosaur George on a saddle on the back of an Allosaurus versus Krylophosaurus. Well, clearly... If I get to ride on the back of an Allosaurus, that's going to be the greatest day of my life. Uh, that's going to be the greatest day ever. I get to ride around on the back of an Allosaurus. Woohoo! Look at me, baby! Ruler of the dinosaur world! Crylophosaurus, unfortunately, even if I'm not on the back of an Allosaurus, Crylophosaurus is undermanned, undergunned. Doesn't have the size. Doesn't have the power. Doesn't have the height. 
doesn't have the weapon. Allosaurus is going to crush Krylophosaurus. Krylophosaurus's little crest on his head, that's going to be like eating potato chips for Allosaurus. After he kills Krylophosaurus, he cracks off the top and he eats the chips. And then he looks around and yells, Waiter, could I please get a bowl of salsa to go with my chips? <laughs> Dinosaur salsa. Good question, Sawyer Sarkis. like that name, by the way. All right, this one comes from my friend Zach, uh, my little bro. Zach said, I got a good one for you. Spinosaurus versus a pack of Deinonychus. Now, I like these kind of fights because when you're dealing with a pack of carnivores they, that probably hunted in a pack, they probably know what they are doing. They have hunted together. They know how to get around. They know where to look for a weakness, and they know how to exploit it. And most importantly, one of them probably has the job of standing in the front to keep the Spinosaurus occupied so that the Spinosaurus is looking at that one while the other one's assault. Now, as for size, Spinosaurus has it. As for power, Spinosaurus has it. As for weapons, Spinosaurus has it. So would that mean Deinonychus doesn't stand a chance? I don't think so. I think they do stand a chance. Excuse me, I just hiccuped. I think they do stand a chance. Because their toe claw is is an excellent weapon. Their teeth and hand claws are probably not strong enough to get through the thick muscle and hide of Spinosaurus. But I do think it's a battle of attrition, meaning they keep rushing in and say they keep attacking its right back leg over and over and over and over. And every time they cut a little deeper, they might ultimately. They might ultimately wear down something as big as Spinosaurus. And if it can't get into the water where it's safe, I do believe that Deinonychus could cause the Spinosaurus to ultimately die. Now, that would be, it would take them a long time, but they certainly seem to be the ones made for it. But that's a, that's a very good one. That's good. Okay. Titan Elijah wants to know who would win. Dinosaur George without a stink bombs. Ver- what, what did you just say? Dinosaur George without his stink bombs. Okay, right off the bat, right away, you are stealing my best weapon. So Dinosaur George without a stink bomb versus 10 Allosaurus versus 10 Androsaurus versus 10 Pteranodons versus 10 Velociraptors. Well, Pteranodons, if they're smart, are simply going to get out of there as quickly as they can. They're making a run for it. They're not going to stay around and fight. Same with Velociraptors. They look at the size of Androsaurus and Allosaurus and they're like, listen, you boys stay here. Unless you're saying they're all ganging up on me, which you rotten little kid. If you're saying these are all going to attack me, I don't want pteranodons dive bombing me and poking me in the head. I don't want velociraptors running up and biting me on the rear end. I don't, I don't want Andrew Sarkis to bite off my arm and Allosaurus to eat me. What kind of a kid are you? So in this particular case, since I have no stink bombs, here's what I do. I jump on the back of an Andrew Sarkis and I ride him like a horse. Yeah! He runs right at the pteranodons. I leap off the back of Andrew Sarkis onto the back of a pteranodon and I fly to safety. And I look behind me and Allosaurus is eating all of the other combatants. It's the perfect day. All right, Hank wants to know Ceratosaurus versus Utah Raptor. Whoa, I like this one, buddy. This is a good one. 
Now, Ceratosaurus, um, you know, I'm going to cut right to the chase here, Hank. Even though Ceratosaurus has four claws on its arms and has some body armor and has very sharp teeth, I don't believe it is as agile as Utah Raptor. Now, Utah Raptor is not a ninja because he weighs a lot, but I still think he's a little bit faster than Ceratosaurus. And the reason why speed is important when you're fighting an opponent is that you want to get around behind them. But the only way to do that is to be quicker than they are. And I think you get around behind it very quickly. And then if you launch yourself onto its back, there's really nothing Ceratosaurus can do because all of its weapons are designed to face forward. And I think Utah Raptor is able to get around and leap onto the back of Ceratosaurus. And the minute that happens, that's the end of that battle. Because that foot claw on Utah Raptor is long enough to go through the body and the hide of Ceratosaurus. Give that fight to Utah Raptor. All right, last one. Elizmosaurus says, Elizmosaurus says, who would win? T-Rex versus Giganotosaurus versus Spinosaurus. Wow. Well, these are great. These are absolutely great. Uh, you got three titans here. Honestly, Spinosaurus is the first one to go out. He just doesn't have the brute strength. He's not made for this kind of combat. He's huge, but he's just not really made for this kind of fight. So he's going to go out quick, and that then leaves Tyrannosaurus and Giganotosaurus. And I've said before, and I will say again, that although I love Giganotosaurus, I believe Tyrannosaurus was a stronger, more powerful animal and therefore, a bite from a Giganotosaurus could be, could be dangerous, but a bite from a Tyrannosaurus Rex could be deadly. And I believe that T-Rex is going to get in one good bite, and when it does, that's going to be the end of that. All right. Um, listen, everyone. I hope you guys have enjoyed this special edition podcast. I will try to do another because there was still a bunch of who would wins and a bunch of Ask Dinosaur George questions I couldn't get to. But I'm trying to keep these as short as I can. All right, my friends, until next time, I hope you all have a great day. I hope everybody is staying nice and warm and staying safe and warm if you live where it's cold today. If you live where it's warm or hot, I hope you stay cool. To all the parents out there, thank you all so much. Thank you all so very much for, uh, hey, wait a minute, you know what? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I just breezed through and I saw one where Henry Rex's birthday, he sent this question in on his birthday. And his grandmother was so nice, she got him a membership for his birthday. Now, I know when you wrote this, Henry Rex, I know that was a few days ago, but I, I, that just caught my eye. So I want to go ahead and answer this one for you before I go. All right. It was Henry Rex's seventh birthday the day he sent me this. Uh, he just got his membership from his GAM, which is so nice. He has been dying to ask you who would win. So, who would win? Postasuchus versus Varanus Priscus. Wow. Wow. What a good one. I would say that Postasuchus is going to have a much more powerful bite force. Well, Man, I don't know if it's that much more powerful or not. Wow. 
I think Postasukas had more body armor. So I'm going to say in this particular case, it would be Postasukas. And then he asked who would win, Therizinosaurus versus Platyosaurus. Another interesting fight. Platyosaurus really only weapons were its thumb claw. It does have, and it can stand up on its back legs. So it's thumb claw, but Therizinosaurus's claws are so much longer that I don't think Platyosaurus even gets close. I think Therizinosaurus is going to shred that guy like, uh, like Freddy Krueger. And lastly, Krylophosaurus versus Dinosaur George without his El Stinko pits. Okay, let me say this right now, kid. El Stinko is a superhero. And no one knows the identity of El Stinko. No one! Stop calling me El Stinko because that's not who I am. Henry Rex, if you were on the last podcast, on the last lesson, you saw El Stinko. And it certainly wasn't me because we don't even look the same. So, Krylophosaurus versus Dinosaur George without his El Stinko pits. Okay, great. Well, if I don't have any underarm weapons. I'm going to be eaten by Krylophosaurus. Thanks a lot, kid. And it says, Henry Rex is rooting for you. Well, thank you for rooting for me, Henry. But you're the one that threw me in with a Krylophosaurus. And then after Krylophosaurus kills me, he snaps off his own crest and says, waiter, can I please have, can I please have some salsa to go with my dinosaur George meat. That's it, my friends. Take care, everybody. I hope you're all doing well, and I will see you all soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club, and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks, and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge. <laughs>